Guru Nation, welcome to episode 473 of Random Musings from the Clinical Trials Guru. In this episode, I interviewed Belkis Rodriguez. Uh, she's a site owner in Miami, and we talk about a lot of things. We talk about the challenges of running a site, how she started, um, what she's doing right now during COVID, her thoughts on virtual trials, her thoughts on whether sites will ever be replaced, her thoughts on how, what the industry can do to get more minorities, specifically Latin Americans, in uh, research studies. So, a lot of good stuff from uh, Belkis here from Pharma Research Associates. Check that out. Links in the show notes, okay? Um, CRA Academy, CRC Academy, both of those links are in the show notes. My Patreon channel, which is a VIP membership group with a monthly mastermind, also in the show notes. Uh, if you need help getting studies for your site, text me, 949-415-6256. With all that being said, enjoy this episode with Belkis. Hello, Guru Nation. Welcome back to another episode of Random Musings from the Clinical Trails Guru. This is uh, my favorite kind of podcast because it's unplanned, unannounced. But Belkis and I were just talking about, you know, how to get more studies for her site through our consulting service. So text me if you're interested, 949-415-6256. But Belkis and I have been connected on LinkedIn since 2013. She has a really interesting story. We're actually going to get her to be the uh, February guest host for the Latinos in Clinical Research. Um, I didn't realize you were part of that group. Thank you very much. And uh, let's get into your story because we need more stories from people like you, people who are actually in the community doing the work of research, who actually understand the amount of work it takes to do research and not just throwing out things like virtual trials, like it's going to solve every problem in the industry because it's not um, the tools the technology tools are perfectly fine but we need more people like Belkis not less people like Belkis doing studies so Belkis from Pharma Research Associates in Miami Florida welcome to the show how's it going it's going well thank you we have nice weather today and um, we're having a really good day out here um, Considering we are, we're going through COVID-19 and everything, but we're being cautious and we're doing everything we can. Um, yep. uh, we're, we are part of the community and uh, we have a diverse community down here. Of course. So we're, we're looking to serve that community. We, and let's, uh, let's get right into that. I mean, before we get into that, let's get into you. Who, who are you? Like, how did you even discover research? I discovered research because I was a uh, paralegal that loved uh, I was doing a medical malpractice and I was very inclined to doing the medical part of it. I loved the, I loved forensics and I loved meeting with the experts, the medical experts. So I love that side of the, uh, the story, but I, um, then I had an opportunity to go into the medical profession or the medical field. And I was working in an office. I started research and, uh, there wasn't, I, I didn't have um, a whole lot to fill out my applications with. And I just didn't know really how to do things until I came across a person that was very significant uh, in my life. And I say that because um, she really gave me a road, like a uh, map, like a roadmap 
And in this roadmap, she explained who, uh, who each and every one of us was and how important each and every one of us, the role we played. So that is how we came about. So I started going back to school and, and took great interest. It became, uh, I became passionate over clinical research. Mm. And that's pretty much how I end up again in clinical research. So that's awesome. that is, uh, and then I've, I've worked and uh, uh, till this day. And so you, uh, before you opened your site, you were a coordinator? Study coordinator. I was a coordinator for a doctor's office, and we felt we we wanted to do research. We just didn't know how to get the research up and going. Mm -hmm. We didn't know. We really didn't know. Um, the doctor did not have clinical trial experience. Great credentials, but no clinical trial experience, and mm -hmm. and that was one of our <laughs> bumps in the road. And uh, by the way, now in 2021, that's less of a problem than ever before in the history of research. There's a lot of great doctors out there that are willing to put in the time, the effort, have the patients. They, the patients come in to see them for years and years and years, and they are willing to um, go that extra mile for research, but they don't have clinical trial experience. So it's very hard to get them uh -huh. into the studies for us. So when so did you, was, when did you decide, hey, I want to start my own site? Like, how does that, started how did in that 2012. Uh, That started out in 2012. I, uh, I knew this is what I wanted to do. And um, I, I took a big uh, jump, leap of faith. Uh -huh. And I did, I started uh, I, going to different courses. I started following you. There and, we go. And, yes. And Thank I, you. I would always listen. I'm a good listener and I like to um, learn. I think we all have something that we bring to the table. And uh, so a lot of classes, a lot of courses, a lot of time, um, bumps in the road, um, <laughs> but I'm here. And, so uh, 2012, is that what you said, 2012? 2012. If I remember, that was when the industry was just starting to get busy again after the Great Recession, right? That like, is correct. And we were very busy. Yeah, it was starting to get busy again. And I remember 2013 was my biggest year as a researcher until last year. <laughs> last year was like crazy year. I was telling somebody in another industry that, you know, I feel guilty that we're doing so well in research because other industries are getting decimated by what's been happening. But we've, all of us in research are just fortunate, like really lucky to be in this industry. This is, we're at the forefront of this COVID thing, you know, and it's not ending. It's, we need more studies on COVID. And I see more studies coming out, more treatment, more vaccines, more longer term safety studies, all that stuff. Plus all the other studies that are out, you know, we still need innovation and in just about every indication you can think of. So 2012, when, see, we got to talk because when did you actually start? And then how long did it take you to get your first study? Be oh, even before that, how did you get a PI for your new site? Like when you started? When I started with an API, I, this is uh, kind of a funny story, but I was sitting at a Benihana and I was trying to figure out where do I get my next PI? Where do I get API that has experience? Which way do I go? I was still taking, um, I was in school 
and okay. I was doing Saturday classes, but my office, my site was being built. And um, I came across a doctor sitting at the, the Benihana uh, Teppanyaki table and we <laughs> struck up a conversation and uh, wow. he said his son was a research doctor and uh, had his own practice and uh, might take interest. And sure enough, I spoke to the doctor the next day and um, <laughs> we were able to work something out and it was, uh, it's been an everlasting. And uh, that's one really of our good. PIs. Family practice, yes. right? Family practice, multi-specialty. Family practice. And uh, so he's been on board. And uh, the rest is history with him. And that's so, the best kind of doctor. When you're starting out, I know everybody wants to get specialists. When you're starting out, the best doctor, and even when you're established, the best kind of PI, you want to have that pillar PI that's family practice, internal medicine, because they can do everything almost. And then when you need specialists, they know specialists because they don't work in a bubble. They have colleagues. And so... That solves okay. so many problems. That's exactly what I'm doing with my new site in Yuma. You know, my wife, shout outs to my wife, but she put this list together uh, of all the doctors in Yuma with private practice. We contact all of them. Two of them replied. One I met with for six hours in his house. This is how nice people are there. They invited me to their house. Six hours. We struck up the conversation now once we start with him he's going to refer to all the colleagues you know from in the town Absolutely. so the and message that is, is to, that's how you do it right that's how you do it that, that is correct that is how we did it um and uh we do we have uh throughout the years we've been able to uh bring in more specialists and we do have a certain amount of specialists and that's what is allowing us to bring in certain studies um that require that spe uh, these specialties, mm -hmm. uh, and they are the PIs on the studies. And I was telling you before we recorded when we were doing our client call with you, um, Florida. You know, it's first of all, right now there's changing, the demographics are changing with Florida. So there's a lot of people moving in. I think that's going to do really good things for the sites that are in Florida. But Florida has always had the worst reputation, especially Miami, the worst reputation in the industry for research. And that's a, that's a shame because there are so many good sites. We have a few clients from Miami that are really good, like you're the same, you know, really good, honest people. And then you have other people who are like kind of messing it up for you guys. I'm sure you've experienced this uh from sponsors telling you hey we love you but we don't want miami sites right now what is your what do you what do you respond to them when they tell you this you know that's um some that has been a, i i experienced that a couple months ago i reached out to the sponsor i worked with a while back and we did very well on the study and uh, they said they are no longer working with miami and it um yeah. It gave me a mixed, uh, I don't know, it was... What is it about it Miami, though? Like, why? in a way. Why is it, why does Miami have such a bad reputation? Because I'm in L.A., and, I mean, yeah, we don't have a great, there's a very competitive here, too. 
but Miami's like for some reason always gets this reputation, this negative um, association. I hope that's going to change now after COVID with more people moving there. But why is this? Like, do you have any insight into why? I, it's hard to say. I mean, everybody, each each site has their their own procedures and their own protocols and their own rules and regulations they establish within the practice. The, uh, it depends on your PI, um, how how much your how much time your PI is willing to put in, and it depends on administration, mm-hmm. how how yeah. present you are at your site. I always think um, like the Miami sites have to work so much harder uh, than sites in other parts of the country. Just it is very competitive down here. It is right? very very competitive. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I do think that the studies should not, sometimes there are studies that are uh, block to block that you, you may find the same study from one block to the next. And that may be an issue. Mm-hmm. Um, that's one of our, some, one of the issues that we do see and the, and the sponsors do realize that afterwards. They realize, mm-hmm. well, this is not a great, not an easy study to enroll in yet, and but yet we did open two sites, and then one is right next to the other one. Mm-hmm. So that may be I think something. Hopefully, um, with the demographics changing so much, like I think it's between Florida and Texas, which one is number one now for attracting most more people moving in? I Florida's up there. If it's not number one, it's number two. Um, so hopefully, that's going to change a little bit as far as sponsors attitude towards Miami because like I said like I was telling you and Chris before we started recording you know our best client uh is from Miami and so there's that's proof that it can be done I mean absolutely we we put in the time we put in how much time we need to put into Mm -hmm. um the study uh we we enroll we uh our, our, something that is really important to our side is that we can enroll a combination in, of demographics that we're not leaving anybody behind. Mm-hmm. Um, they, we are my, sponsors need that. Owned. And the sponsor needs that, the study needs that. Uh, we need to address different populations. Um, so that is something that we do. And we do um, a lot of uh, networking. We go out and we do a lot of health fairs. Well, now we're not doing that, but we were engaged mm-hmm. in a lot of health fairs and a lot of different community activities to address um, different communities and to let them know who we are, um, what we're offering, um, and uh, make the patient feel welcome, safe, and uh, wanting to let other family members, other neighbors, other, other people know that Research is not so bad. It's a, actually it's a, it's a great uh, avenue for for healthcare. It's fantastic. And, uh, yep, and that it's uh, you're a medical hero at the end of the day for generations yeah. to come. So that's what we put out there, and of course safety first, um, and and that's our that's our main one. And we're gonna have you talk on the Latinos in clinical research. Um, February call. So everybody who's not subscribed, go to latinosinclinicalresearch.com. We're going to see Belkis as the guest presenter in February. But what is it with uh, Latinos? 
why is it so challenging for the industry to enroll Latinos? What is the industry doing wrong? If you were, there is nobody who controls all of pharma, but if let's pretend like you were the one, what would you do differently to get more minorities, specifically African-American and Hispanics in studies? We have to let them know that clinical trials is a good avenue. It's innovation. It's a good, safe avenue. Um, it's a good approach to healthcare. Um, that is the, the number one. And uh, if we want to enroll Hispanics, most of the Hispanic community, I, I can't speak for everyone, but the large majority does not speak English. And we cannot enroll that community if it's only an English consent. We can't, we can't even touch these patients. Um, so it's only that our, our percents are lowered when that happens. Yeah. Um, what have you been yeah. your experiences with that? with sponsors how much like what percentage do you think give you uh spanish informed consent and then what what percentage? i i always do request spanish i request creole and i request portuguese because my doctors are, are diverse um so and so we have many uh doctors that speak many different languages in my office so mm -hmm. we attract all those populations and when they do not speak understand or read english and it's it's an english consent there's nothing we can do mm -hmm. there's we that is a patient that we miss out on and usually it's a patient that may be a, an excellent patient in a study right so and so that is one that we have encountered and we have encountered that a few times and it's it's discouraging for for everyone yeah, one of our co-founders of Latinos in Clinical Research, Judy Galindo, she's has a site actually going to be like only an hour away from where I'm going to open my site in she's going to be she's in Imperial, California. It's like 90% Hispanic and she runs into this problem all the time with uh, sometimes the sponsors don't allow non-English speakers in the studies. And it's very frustrating. So that tremendous, it's very frustrating because it doesn't exclude not only Hispanics, but it excludes um, many demographics that do not speak English or do not, they, they don't read or they don't understand. And, mm -hmm. but yet we have the doctors that speak of these other languages. Right. Yeah. So, we, that's something that pharma has to fix. Um, well, yeah, that's definitely one. Um, we reach out to all communities. We, um, we reach out to the African-American. We uh, one of my doctors is uh, Haitian American, and um, he has a great following. And he's helped me to uh, visit many parishes, uh, worship centers, community centers, um, and and welcome welcome everybody onto onto our site. So mm -hmm. that's um, important. Grassroots efforts. See, this is the part that bothers me with the industry talk about patient centricity, all the focus is on technology and the focus needs to be on um, the opposite of technology, you know, face-to-face uh, -face interaction. Like it's the oldest kind of communication known to man. It's you talk to somebody, you know, um, technology, virtual trials is not gonna get more patients in the study. You might give patients 
access in 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 theory sure everyone in florida can do a virtual trial with one pi in florida by zoom but who's going to convince those patients to even do that study in the first place you Who don't want to be in the study in the first place yeah they, we need they want like the warmth, they want the security they want to hear from the doctor they 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 value that one-on-one -on -one, face to face um talking to the coordinators uh that reassurance, um, they can sit and go through the consent. They can take their consents home. They can review them with their family members and they can call us. Uh, we're, yeah. we're available. We're available to the patient um, and we're inviting, we're welcoming on, into our site. We're always very warm and welcoming. Um, the coordinator is the most underrated aspect in research uh, from the perspective of doing the work, but also from the patient centricity perspective, which the industry is so yes. focused on. And name, like when you go outside of research, when you go to a doctor, okay, like I go to my doctor's office, I don't have a coordinator, you know, I meet an MA who takes my vital and then I talk to the doctor and then I leave. A coordinator in a study is like a concierge. You have like a VIP experience if you're in a study. It's a VIP experience, and I call it. It's more. We. It's more concierge. Um, so we're in a way we're practicing concierge medicine, um, and it's a one-on-one, -on -one and there is so much privacy that is given to the patient, um, and we just make sure our patient feels exactly. has a good feeling, and they. They, uh, I always welcome their family. If, fam if they need a family member or a caregiver, um, we make sure they are, they are taking place and they feel as if they're, you know, the, the, their patient, their family member or their friend or, or whoever they're caring for is being cared for, is being taken yeah. care of. Um, we're, we're giving them the warmth. Sometimes they just need that. Sometimes just that, Simple smile, that care, that that hello in person, mm -hmm. makes a world of difference. And um, I think technology so cannot offer that. Technology is not is, is intimidating to many. Mm -hmm. um, it's to intimidate them. Uh, it's going to scare them a little bit, and it's it's not going to offer them warmth. Um, it's not a VIP. Wouldn't be a VIP even if the the way the industry wants to do it is like to scale it. So you're going to have like one PI in each state. I don't think this is ever going to happen, but this is what they want. One PI in each state with maybe like two coordinators running the whole show. And you're not going to get any VIP experience that way as a patient. Like once you're in the study, forget about the whole problem of how to convince people to join the study. That's another problem in and of itself. But once they're in, let's say the few that did get in, well, now they're just going to feel like a number, like, okay, this guy doesn't even know my name. You know, I can tell he's just reading like a paper of what's going on right now. That's not the case. When you go in person to an office, you know, the coordinator, you start establishing a rapport, the coordinator and the patients, they have rapport with each other it, and exactly. then the PI as well. So Absolutely. there's a lot that the industry can learn from people like you, Belkis. We need more Thank people you. like you in the industry. This is why we got to have you on the Latinos in Clinical Research February. Absolutely. I'm going to look forward to it. Yeah, I'm going to email all the, all the girls in there and uh, get you going for February. 
and we're gonna make um, we'll make an infographic to promote your your session uh, with the picture and your logo. I think it'll be good for February because you're doing a good job out there, and uh, we need more people like you. Like I said, thank you. I really appreciate that, and I look forward to it. I I always love to um, help and uh, and and put out a good word for clinical trials. It's uh, I to me it's it's a uh, sometimes the it's it's the light at the end of the tunnel for many. Yeah. And, and um and i always like to put a good word out there for for everyone um and that we there are many good sites down here in miami i consider that we are doing a good job i'm always open to learning and uh to new experiences and always furthering my knowledge and our knowledge here not just my own um i have been like i said i've been following from you for many years and i always take note because you put out such great information for us and uh, and uh, so I always do take note of uh, of the work you're putting out there, the effort you're putting out there for us. So thank you. Yeah, we need we need more. So more people like Belkis doing uh, good work out there. Uh, I'm looking forward to that Latinos in research. Thank you very much, Belkis. Where uh, I'm going to put your LinkedIn profile underneath this video and in the podcast, so people can connect with you. Right. Absolutely. I look forward to it. And then we'll anyone that wants to connect, go ahead on LinkedIn uh, and get to know Belkis and get to know her on the February webinar for the Latinos in Clinical Research Zoom call. So uh, thank you, guys. Thank you, Belkis. Thank you, everyone, for watching and listening. And we'll catch you all later. Bye-bye. Thank you so much. Thank you.